Not many have driven a race car better than my guest today, who is Mario Andretti. He won the Indianapolis 500, the Daytona 500, the Formula One World Championship, and the Pikes Peak Hill Climb. He won the IndyCar National Championship four times and was a three-time winner at Sebring. He's won at virtually every level of motorsports since he arrived in America from his native Italy at the age of 15. He is a racing icon, considered by many to be the greatest race car driver in the history of the sport. I mean, Andretti has taken the checkered flag 111 times during his career, and that's a career that stretched five decades, and he was competitive in all of those years. He was named Driver of the Year in three different decades, both in the 60s, 70s, and 80s. He was Driver of the Quarter Century in the 90s, and the Associated Press named him Driver of the Century in January 2000. Now, I don't have enough time to list all of Andretti's accomplishments, but he truly is a legend, and I don't say that lightly. His accomplishments don't only take place on the track, though. I mean, he's become a very successful businessman with a winery, a petroleum business, and many other ventures. And on this episode, we are going to dive into some of the amazing stories throughout his incredible career and life and pull out some of the helpful lessons that you can apply to your own life. So please enjoy this conversation with legend Mario Andretti. Uh, what got you there? What got you, got you? I'm Sean Delaney, and you're listening to What Got You There. What Got You There is a must-follow for entrepreneurs, creatives, high achievers, and change makers. Each week, I sit down with some of the world's most influential people and focus on the journey behind their success. We uncover the strategy, tactics, and routines that help them get there. Now it's your journey, so it's time to learn what's going to get you there. If you're enjoying the podcast, then you might want to check out some of the other things I'm working on behind the scenes. I put out a weekly newsletter called Momentum Monday, which is just a quick synthesis of everything I've been reading, listening to, and watching during the week. I also do a once a month deep dive called The Distillery, which is just a long form distillation on someone whose thinking has greatly impacted me. You can check out past distillations of Josh Waitzkin, Michael Jordan, Bob Iger, Bruce Lee, Nick Saban, and many more. I also have 50 plus book recaps of my favorite reads. So you can find everything I just mentioned and more at whatgotyouthere.com. After five plus years learning from hundreds of the world's most successful people, I've taken the most important practices and lessons and distilled them down into my online course called You Unleash, which is going to help you become the person you know you're capable of becoming. Now, You Unleash is going to help you break free of your old habits and excuses. It's going to eliminate your limiting beliefs and start taking action in ways that will actually get you results. Now, the course has a proven curriculum that has helped people just like you take action towards creating the life they've dreamed of. Well, now it's your turn. You Unleash, though, isn't a quick fix. It's not a magic pill. It doesn't involve empty promises or lofty goals. Instead, it's a roadmap to your true potential. So are you ready to eliminate those fears and become that fully unleashed version of yourself? If so, enroll now by clicking the link below or heading to whatgotyouthere.com. Mario, welcome to What Got You There. How are you doing today? Wonderful, Sean. Thanks for having me. It's a, it's an honor for me, uh, and I do not say that lightly. With hundreds of different interviews, this is up there. This is this is one of the pinnacles, so I appreciate that. But I, I need to start with one of my favorite quotes, and it's from you. And it's, if everything seems under control, you're just not going fast enough. Talk to me about that quote, because I love it. <laughs> well, uh, actually, that quote came up when um, we were writing... My uh, was a fourth book, just uh, I could, actually the book right after I officially came out of the open wheel, uh, retired in 1994. And uh, my co-author says that, explain to me qualifying. And uh, I'll never forget that uh, when 
we used to watch uh, ABC Wide World of Sports. They used to have this reel of uh, Franz Klammer coming down the hill, totally out of control by making and setting a record. And I said, that's qualifying. That's like uh, you're just on the verge of disaster. And that's what it takes to be able to just set a record or just doing something that's very special and spectacular. And so if everything seems under control, you're not going fast enough, just period. Not just not going fast enough. And I, I love the fact that you actually use the correct quote. Usually they uh, people try to repeat it and they shortcut it or something like that. But I uh, uh, appreciate you use the actual correct quote. Absolutely. Is that something that was in your blood? Did, did you have that from day one, that ability to just full throttle and go? Or is that something that evolved over time? You know, Sean, I, you know, how do you develop something like that? Uh, it's just starts with just a desire, a desire to, to achieve something. And, uh, and it turns into love for, you know, what you're about to do, what you're, what you're, what you're doing and loving your job, basically. Um, and, you know, any sport, you know, I think in any way in life to achieve something that's, uh, let's say, valuable, extraordinary, it, um, it always um, it gives you something to look forward to is what I'm saying. There's always something new on the other side. And that's what keeps you motivated. That's what keeps you going. And, and for me, uh, again, I didn't have to be motivated by anyone else. I was, you know, it was coming out of myself. I, uh, I knew how I felt every time that I won a race, every time that I set a record. And, and I want to feel again, feel that, that euphoria again. Um, you know what's interesting is that uh, Aldo and I, my twin brother, we had the same dreams, the same, uh, obviously, goals, uh, and ambitious goals at the time, which uh, you didn't dare uh, express yourself because, you know, you're crazy, but uh, um, always thinking, you know, going for the moon. And, um, and, and again, it's, and, and one, and when we finally built our first car and went to the, and had the first race at age 19, one car, two drivers actually had to toss a coin who was going to drive first <laughs> on the, here in the local level. It was serious racing. You know, it was actually it was not amateur. It was professional racing. And uh, Aldo goes out and um, qualifies in the heat first and, and then wins the feature, the first feature ever. And... Obviously, then I didn't sleep for a while for the whole week because I had to do it the following week, and I did the same thing. And then when you experience that winning, you know that's pretty contagious, and uh, that's what you know makes you just get it up and and want to do it over and over again. And uh, there's a uh, there's a reward that goes with it that's so valuable, it's so fulfilling that. Um, you know what? Uh, I don't need to be motivated. Nobody needs to tell me that's what you should do. Uh, I, you know, I, you put on your own pressure. You know, but um, that's what I found. You know, throughout my life as a race driver, you know that uh, uh, every day was a new day, something to look forward to, um, and 
I felt too that um, I was learning. I never felt at any time that, hey, you know what, I made it. Now I know what, you know, I know. No, there's always something else. I think to my very last race, I was learning something. Learned something today. You know, when I'm in a race car, I said, you know, oh, you know, maybe no. there's always something. And that's what, you know, that's what keeps you, keeps you motivated. Yeah. I, I'm so intrigued by that, right? Like so many people, I mean, you were at the pinnacle I mean, Indy 500 formula one world championship. I, I'm, I'm just trying to figure out how do you maintain that drive when you're at the top? It's easy. You know, it's uh, no one, no one can really create that for you. Yeah. I always said, even, uh, unless it's in your belly, nobody can teach you to go fast. It's got to be within, and uh, and this is something that uh, for me you got to look forward to it. Why did I do so many races in my career? Why was I not taking some time off uh, where I could have still gone for a specific championship and specialize in one discipline and so forth? Uh, which you know it's it's a, it's a personal thing, but I just could never get enough. You know I I'm trying to scratch my itch today, you know, and uh, every opportunity, you know, I've been saying, oh, I'd like to do, uh, you know, get in a modern, modern Formula One car. And it's sure, and Lord and behold, you know, that uh, I'm given that opportunity and it's um, now I want to do it again, you know, and, uh, and and fit in the cockpit properly, you know, which I didn't. <laughs> what, what was it like jumping in the car a couple of weeks ago? Well, it was fabulous, you know, and, and it's everything that I expected, you know, uh, and, and more. But uh, uh, I was just looking forward to actually experiencing all of that, you know, the, the quality of the braking and all of that sort of thing. And uh, uh, I, again, that's what that's what really keeps me alive, if you will. Mario, can you talk about the ambition? You mentioned a few minutes ago, you said we were, we were pretty much taught to squander our ambition. And I'm wondering what that's like internally as you have these huge dreams you want to shoot for the moon. Just just talk through that experience and what you found in the people who reached the truly great status, that ambition they have internally. Well, here again, you know, the, you have to have a goal. You have to have something that uh, you love, something that almost seemed like impossible, but you don't accept that mm -hmm. fact. In other words, uh, uh, when Aldo and I, uh, became enamored with the sport uh, and thinking, oh, someday I'm going to be a race driver. Yeah, right. You know, and looking at circumstances, looking at everything around you. But did we ever have a plan B? No. Mm. That's the point. And that was my ambition to just pursue no matter what, no matter what glitches, no matter what bumps on the road, you know, you're just going to, I'm going to overcome that. I mean, uh, let's face it. Uh, Aldo and I started racing, and we didn't dare tell my father because my dad only knew about the negatives. You know about the fatalities, and you know our, you know our, our uh, uh, idols. You know Alberto Scotti was killed just before we came to this country, and he was the guy that I wanted to emulate. You know, talking about that, and can you imagine like on the way over on the Conte Bianca Mile on the ship. You know, we were at sea for nine days. It was a big storm and whatever. And uh, they used to have um, uh, every day they would they would uh, post uh, the news of the day somewhere. And it was actually the weekend of 24 hours of Le Mans, 1955. 
where there was that accident where Pierre Levesque went in the grandstand and killed 85 people. Now, we didn't dare talk about motor racing to my dad when, you, you know, you see all of these negatives. And so what I'm driving at is that um, Aldo and I went against the potentially impossible by enrolling and start driving without telling him. And, and then you'd say, well, you know, he's going to read about it. So, yeah. Well, our defense was the language barrier because we had only been in the States for, for a couple of years. And, and uh, we, we picked up the language, you know, went to school, but we also had three years of school in Italy before we came over. So, um, but my dad, I, you know, was pretty slow in, in learning. So, you know, even when, when we were in the local papers and, uh, and the boss would go up to, hey, Gigi, man, your kids, you know, so on and so forth. He, he had no idea what the, the guy was talking about, you know. So he thought that he was praising, praising him for his own work, you know. So that was a defense. And But again, what I'm saying is we did it not to defy my father or, you know, my parents, um, but because the love or the ambition to go for it just you know, was there, we do it no matter what, is what I'm saying. And obviously, you know, later on, you know, and Dad became biggest fan and was wondering why we're not winning every race. But uh. <laughs> <laughs> I guess still uh, still trying to learn with that one. One of the things, Mario, I, I just admire the hell out of you for is just your ability to turn negatives into positives. And that's not, that's not easy to do. And I'm just wondering, I mean, you had a very difficult o- overcoming obstacles, childhood, and then life. And I'm wondering how you developed that, that ability to look at the world that way. Well, again, um, I'm glad you're bringing that up because uh, it's, it's something that uh, whenever you have a, you know, the opportunity to reflect on so many things in life, uh, you think, oh, my goodness, uh, you know, this seemed like, like a disaster. And then all of a sudden it turned into a positive. And, and so many of those things did that for us. Like, for instance, uh, uh, look at the uh, daunting it had to be and, and uh, uh, for my parents you know, to move away from uh, Istria and, you know, becoming refugees in our own country and so on and so forth, you know, and that seemed to be a negative. And I'm saying, what if that didn't happen? Mm. What if that didn't happen? What if we didn't have the opportunity to come to the States? I don't think I would have had that opportunity there. So huge negative, positive. And there have been so many along the way that when I really reflect on things, I said, you know what, uh, never let yourself go down. I mean, you know, it, uh, it's the negative. Uh, if you think, if you keep a positive thinking, it's going to turn around. And, and it has done that for me. It really, really has. Uh, so keep your chin up always. It pays. How quickly after a race could, could you flip the mindset? back to back to the positive well you had to because here again i never ever dwelled on that negative after a race that didn't go the way i wanted for whatever reason whether there was uh you know something awful that happened to somebody else and it could affect uh you know your your uh, i don't know your your attitude your uh your thinking you know going forward um uh and and or making a stupid mistake, you know, so, oh my goodness, and then dwell all day, you know, and, okay, let's learn, let's learn and not doggone and not ever do that again type of thing, you know, so thinking 
positive to go forward. And uh, uh, like, for instance, uh, a lot of people ask me, um, what was your favorite track? Everyone, every track that I went to was my favorite. Why? Because unless you have that positive attitude, you're almost beat before you get there. If you say, oh, no, I don't like this joint, you know, I'm, and you know, you're, you're, yeah, you're defeated before you get there even. So uh, you don't, you try not to think in those terms and, and, uh, and it works. It, it really, it totally works. It works because uh, it keeps you on the up and up, if you know what I mean. You know, it's, um, it's very important. And, and I, you know, uh, I had help on, 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 on the side of uh, family, my, my wife, especially, you know, uh, we had a young family uh, very, you know, early on, as I said, because, and and um, and there, there were obstacles along the way, but um, and and also the fact that uh, uh, I was so ambitious that uh, maybe I sacrificed some family life, if you will, to, to that point, and uh, without even realizing it, because you know you feel you're so selfish, you know, just to pursue what you love. And but never, she never ever uh, made me feel guilty, if you will, hmm. you know, of anything. And uh, even though you know, Deanne was was not a race fan per se, and not one of those that oh yeah, you gotta go. This and no, she was just even, Stephen, solid. And um, when I think back, didn't realize it then. I realize it now how important that was for me. Um, so that, like I said, looking back, there's so many factors that, uh, not knowing at the time that really helped me sort of maintain, you know, this, uh, aggression and maintain this, uh, uh, desire, you know, to just keep going ahead because I didn't have to worry. Oh, you know what? If I, maybe, I, maybe I should give that one up. Maybe I should spend some time, you know, go to a picnic or something with a family and, <laughs> and things like that i'll tell you a little story um there was uh in school my two boys you know they were older uh, you know i had two boys then i had a, a girl barbie so it was uh mike and jeff but mike was the oldest so anyway uh he was probably about uh maybe six years old in school and um the teacher because the teacher told me this the teacher had that question you know okay uh, kids, what does your dad do for a living? And um, so it comes to Michael, and my Michael, Michael says, "Well, my dad goes to the airport and makes bread." And so he said, "Oh, you know." So why did he say that? Because I always, I always had my bags packed, and uh, you know, going somewhere, and and he'd say, "Dad, where are you going?" Well, Mike, I got to go to the airport. Got to make the bread. <laughs> <laughs> certainly some some, bre some bread was made in, in some of those weekend trips there that, that's for sure <laughs> barrio I, I need to dive into it because you keep just talking about learning uh, it's a reoccurring theme here i mean we talk to a lot of entrepreneurs investors athletes as well they are learning machines and i'm wondering what the early days were like for you w what were you doing behind the scenes that really just helped you out in those early days develop that ability that you have Arm yourself with people that know more than you do. And uh, just give a perfect example here. When Aldo and I decided to say, you know what, how are we going to start racing? We got to build our own car. 
What, how else are you going to do it? You know, we actually fibbed along the way, said that we were racing in Italy at the Formula Junior. Meaning when you and, got to uh, the U.S., you were telling them you were racing you in Italy. Into the <laughs> <laughs> we tried everything. Awesome. You know, and, uh, but um, at the end of the day, uh, figure we got to build a car. So what do you do? You surround, we surround ourselves with four buddies and you got to have the geek there somewhere. The guy that knows everything. And his name was Charlie Mitch. And uh, so here we are. The plan is to build something to race locally. And uh, so I said, where do we start? And his, this was his reasoning. He says, you know, we got to do something different than what they're doing here. Because what's the use of trying to do the same thing that they've been doing and then think you're going to do better? And so where did he go? He, he goes to NASCAR, to the national level, to what was winning short track races at the time. What was winning short track races? The Hudson's back in the, you know, in the early 50s and mid 50s. And, uh, but the Hudson was going out of business. I mean, they, they pull out of racing, I should say. So what do we do? We go to the top team, the Marshall Teague team. There was Marshall Teague and Herb Thomas, Marshall Teague team, who was basically folding in their respect. And we went there and we bought, bought from them uh, setups. We bought all the setups and it cost us $500, which we had to borrow from the bank and had somebody sign for it. And, and can you imagine how valuable that was? Because at that point, we had to go to the junkyard and, and find a model car that was built as a race car, even by the factory. And there was a 48 Hudson Hornet with that was a short wheelbase with the wide rear, rear end track and so on and so forth. And, and of course, we found it. And then you go ahead and build then. What do we find? We find that uh, all the racing engines, the 7X engines, were sold to a, uh, uh, there was a company that was selling them, uh, the Whitney Company in Chicago, it was selling it for as power plants. And what did those engines cost? $500. So we had to borrow another $500 from the bank, and we had the actual racing engines that they had in NASCAR. And and so and we put this this baby together, and uh, sh Lord and behold, you know it, it, it worked because we had the setups and we tried to understand the dynamics of the setup, cross weight, and, and on and on and on, and um, and and again. Uh, so uh, and all along, what do you do? Uh, you can never do things yourself. You have to arm yourself with a team, especially like uh, you know. Different businesses obviously have different moving parts. In our sport, our sport is very complicated, as you know. You know, that um, the, the race car dynamics, you have to have the mechanics, you have to have all those things. And and um, and, and I, I learned that the formula to, to be able to, to, to have any success at all is to have the equipment and have the team around you that can help you. Because, you know, it's the same that the, the driver is like a quarterback in football, if you know that. Uh, unless you have the receivers, unless you have a front line that protects you, so you know, no matter how good you think you are, you're not going to be able to perform. And and uh, the, the driver is the same way. No matter how good you are, 
you cannot make, you know, extract something out of out of a car that's not capable type of thing, you know. So uh, all of those things are very important. And uh, along here again, uh, you know, along my career, you talk about negatives into positive. Unfortunately, I benefited from negatives of some other people. I benefited from people injured or worse by getting the ride. What if so-and-so would not have paid, you know, almost with his life? And I wouldn't have got that ride. You know, it's it's kind of uh, terrible to even think that that's what happened. But that was it. These are some of the examples that I have in my life. And um, and so, again, uh, there's so many factors that play into it uh, is what I'm saying. Yeah. There's so much humility coming through, talking about the importance of others. I'm wondering, were there any foundational people in, in terms of mentorship or just people who were your, your direct competitors or people helping guide you along early that were incredibly influential? Well, yeah, I mean, there's always somewhere that, uh, for instance, uh, when I uh, reached the top level, say, in, you know, in Indy cars and so on and so forth, uh, obviously it was all piss and vinegar, you know, just, man, I got it. And the biggest problem that, that uh, my uh, uh crew chief, you know, my chief mechanic and so forth, the biggest problem that, or the biggest problem he thought that he would have in his hands that I would get hurt or worse. So he understood, you know, all the fire that was in my belly. And, um, and he said to me, Mario, as fast as you're going to go, it's good enough for us. Those were unbelievable words of wisdom for me to know because I wasn't going to slow down. But maybe it kept me from doing stupid things who going beyond what I was capable of. You know, so here again, you know, that uh, you're surrounded with people that understand certain things and uh, and it guides you. You know, I needed that guidance, obviously, as you could see. And, and it was it was I mean, it was everything that I needed, you know, just to keep my feet on the ground properly. Um, I remember when <laughs> there were, we had two chief mechanics and, and an older one, Clint Bronner was, you know, one of those, uh, icons in the sport, you know, he, uh, you know, he's had, you know, champions, national champions, you know, before, and then I was this young guy and, um, and then, then I had a younger guy, Ch Jim McGee, who became a very successful, uh, crew chief, you know, along the years after, uh, even after he, he went on, um, you know, from, he passed on from me, but um, um, oh, Jim McGee says, uh, man, he says, in those days, I used to think that maybe I'd have to send Mario a Christmas card in July because I didn't think he'd make it till Christmas, you know what I mean? So, <laughs> that type of thing. But, um, uh, but again, uh, uh, as you say, it's, it's so important, you know, you look back in life, you know, who helped you shape certain aspects of it were very important and I've had that. I've had that for sure. You talk about the ambition that that's been with you forever. I'm wondering for you, when, when did that moment take place where you weren't just hoping to be one of the greats? You realized you actually were one of the greats. Well, I don't think if the moment you realize that you're the great, but the moment that's important is when you you realize that you belong there. Mm. Yeah. Go further there. That's the important thing that you feel. You know what? Uh, let's give you, for instance, uh, 
you come, you know, I, you come through the different ranks, you know, of the sport. And, uh, you know, when I was in the midgets, you figure, man, you know, there's always there's somebody there that's the icon, the, the man to be. And if all of a sudden you win a race and that one like Len Duncan is second, which had happened more than once, you figure, you know, I belong here. You go into sprint cars, you win a race and you beat A.J. Foyt, Don Branson, McCluskey, Bobby Anser. You figure, you know what? I'm okay. I think I belong here. You go into Formula One, the first race, you're on pole. Who's next to you? World champion Jackie Stewart. You win your first Formula One race in South Africa. And who's second? Jackie Stewart. You see what I mean? These are the moments you figure, you know, uh, I belong here. I belong here. And it's just a feeling of confidence. That's what you're looking for. You're looking for the confidence is everything. You know, you can be up there on the podium uh, and you have to deliver, you know, a message, a speech. And if you're up there and you, you know, confidence all of a sudden projects and everything, you know, you get everybody's attention. And confidence is, is so important in any area, especially, you know, again, when you're in a competitive situation. And um, but the confidence only comes after something positive has happened it doesn't just you know you 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 cannot make this up then you just make it up you know what i mean um so uh again that's that's where i looked at things that's what kept me going yeah it's got to be earned confidence Were, were there times that confidence would waver at all for you Oh, yes. You know, there's time you say, what the hell? What am I doing? You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, it's never, it's not always a bed of roses. I mean, it's, uh, uh, there, there are moments, there are moments that, uh, you know, it's like you have to gather your thoughts, you know, and, and, uh, and again, uh, they come sometimes even too often, but uh, that's all part of it. You know, it's, uh, nothing is ever going to be, nothing that's worthwhile is ever going to be easy. Uh, and that's what makes it worthwhile, yeah. you know. So uh, that's that's what it is. But uh, all along, you know, whenever you just figure, oh man, you know, you're up against uh, how in the world could I do this and that? Um, then you start thinking, let's slow down, slow down. Let's just put it together here. And you know, it, it takes that. Now and then, you just gotta re- regroup, if you will. You know with yourself. Can you walk me through how in the moment, the heat of a race, are you able to regroup that quickly? In the heat of the race, everything you know, comes natural. You just know, just you all just, muscle memory and instinct? You don't have the time to think. Yeah. has to be just all a natural reaction. Uh, and, and all of that, you know, many times, um, it's a good question, actually, because many times uh, when you're sitting in a cockpit and um, you start thinking, oh, you know what, uh, i got to be looked after, you know, with the start, this and that. And then all of a sudden, engines fire, you're on it, you're in a totally different area, you know, of thinking. All of a sudden, I mean, you're just doing it and, and it comes natural, you know, it's just that uh, you don't. You don't have the time to think, you know, you just do the stuff, you know, 
it's it's a totally different world. It's a, uh, like I said, it's a, and I, I see that even today, like uh, um, looking at something like, oh, I've got the whole world looking at you and uh, you're in, in modern Formula One car, you have not been in one for it. And you think about it, man, man as soon as that engine fire, I'm going, oh, that's my rodeo. You know, it's uh, it's it's unbelievable, you know, how things have been like that, you know, throughout, you know, my career. Uh, Sometimes you think and you, you're concerned more than, uh, then when you're there, oh, this is it. I always said this, uh, like even from the physical standpoint, sometimes you got aches and pain or whatever, you know, and this and that, and you're there with the adrenaline, everything's fine. Everything's fine. <laughs> it's just, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's interesting, actually, even to me. You want to know what's really interesting to me, Mario? I say this with just the utmost respect. When you were talking about just that, that instinct taking over and just driving and being in that absolute present flow state, your eyes went up and to the left, and I felt like I was talking to a 10-year-old kid who was just having the best time of his life. <laughs> and I could just see it was like you were experiencing that moment again. When you go there, what are you thinking about? Well, you're just thinking well, that uh, that's what you want. You know, you're there because that's that's what you thrive on. That's what it is. This is it. This is what I want. This is what I enjoy. You know, give me more, you know, and that's really what we're looking at. It. And that's, you know, that's what you derive. That's what keeps you going because you want that experience. And, and, and then, you know, the, the challenge is always, you know, to just really squeeze that baby to the end. I mean, squeeze, squeeze, make sure that you don't leave anything on the table, type of thing. I mean, I'm in a two-seater race car with the passenger behind me. Uh, I mean, I've tried really hard, you know, not to screw up on anything. But I don't leave a hell of a lot on the table there either. You know what I mean? And they tell me, because like there you should be just like a, a Goober driver, you know, just give us some experience. I'm not a Goober driver. And I, you know, so I go out there and sometimes, you know, I'm told, well, you know, you don't have to try so hard. Well, then somebody, let somebody else do it. Yeah, you know yeah. what I mean? <laughs> you, you just can't take that out of you, can you? I just can't take, can't take, can't like that. Because uh, that's not that's not me. Period. That's not the way that, uh, and it, I'd rather not do it than just do it. Because then, then I would get down on myself. What the hell are you doing? I mean, what? You're not that old. <laughs> when you're pushing the limits like that, does it calculate for you like you're taking a risk, or do you do you view it entirely differently? Oh, you're taking a risk, but a calculated risk. Okay, meaning you have the confidence based How on your training I and belief. Yeah, you have, yeah. And, and you know, something like that. You have an added responsibility. You have a soul behind you. you what know? what, so what you about when it's just Mario in the car? Talk to, <laughs> talk, talk to me about that. Well, then, <laughs> then, it's, then it's different, yeah. for sure. But at the same time, but both of them have a certain value, too. Like, when I have somebody behind me that would be very satisfied with me driving 88%, there's no way that I feel good that I really gave that person the proper ride unless I'm really at least 98, 99%. Yeah. That's the point. Mm -hmm. 
Speaking about that, that drive, that ambition, you've been, you've become incredible uh, in terms of being a businessman. And, and I'm wondering how does it differentiate from racing or does it, do, do, do you view that pursuit the same? It does not differentiate, believe me, because here again, business is, is competitive in a different way. Uh, you probably don't have the potential bodily harm, you know, the danger aspect and so forth. But the danger is the financial side also, which is daunting as well. And uh, it, here's the interesting part, is that uh, we use the same formula that we use about the makeup of a race team. And that means, what does that mean? To have professionals, specialists, in every aspect of your business. This uh, jack of all trades uh, and all that doesn't work. And to be honest with you, you know, we have, uh, you know, so uh, the businesses that we have right now that are thriving are driven and managed by individuals that one is, name is MJ Costello, and the, the other one is Eddie Haman, you know, in two different businesses. But the formula that they're using is that of, you know what, Mario, we just won another race today type of thing when things are going well. And they project a lot of that. The team they put together, they make them feel like they're really part of the team and valued. And, 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 and everybody knows what they're doing. In other words, if somebody goes out of their way, we know. We know that they're doing, and they they obviously compensated for it in so many ways, you know, whether with accolades or financial or whatever. But then, and also you give them the opportunity to better themselves, to advance themselves in the, in the business, you know, to have always something to look forward to, you know, because that's that's nature, obviously, something to look forward to that brings the best out of you, and uh, and we use the same basic formula. It worked in a competitive environment of a race team. And uh, again, in business, it's no different, no different. Everything seems under control. You're just not going fast enough. So everything has to be at the limit. What are you looking Without at? Going over the limit, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what are you looking at when you're considering a new business opportunity? I'm even just thinking about 20 plus years ago uh, when, you, when you started the winery. Like what's going through your head when you're exploring different business opportunities? Well, at first, uh, you know, like talk about the winery, it was uh, more about pleasure than even business. I said, uh, it's something that, uh, okay, I'm not going to be retiring on that, but it's something that because of my dad, his background and everything had other connotations to it. Um, and I you know, said, so if we can just exist, you know, um, but then there are other businesses that, that, that they have to obviously bring value back. And, um, and, that's the sustainable side of it. Uh, and, you know, we had some failures. We had some, you know, not not very good experience, but you learn from it. And a lot of it is always back to not having the right person there, believe it or not. It's people, people, people. And uh, people that understand, understand what works and understand you, what your you know objectives are, what you're trying to do, and are on the same page. That's what it takes. Then you know we all work together. We know where we're going, and we have pretty good idea how we're going to get there. 
at least we feel like we have a good idea. And that's how, I mean, nothing is guaranteed, but you've got to have that sense of uh, the positive sense. Yeah, we're going to get this done and so on and so forth. And uh, if this doesn't work, we're going to try something else immediately and so on and so forth. But, you know, leave nothing on the table when it comes to even looking at the individuals that are part of the team. Who do you hire to do the specific jobs? The key element of the jobs. But then look, make sure, make everyone on the team feel important because they're all part of it. Like, you know, the old saying, you know, the change is as strong as its weakest link. And uh, so you got to keep that, all those links strong, you know, in every way. And uh, and it's really, it's so satisfying because um, when the business is doing well, you know, everyone gravitates. We have, you know, obviously uh, meetings and I, you know, the, I'm not on. I'm, I'm I'm not operating daily. You know, we have uh, you know a partner on on each side that uh, is, does you know the daily uh, the job and so on and so forth. But uh, uh, as partners, we all contribute in different ways. Um, we we feel confident in the people that uh, are managing a business. We don't have to micromanage. Um, you know, the partners are my son, Michael, for instance, in the main business and so forth. And uh, on that side, and and even the uh, end result of the business, how to run the business, is not really my rodeo. Mm-hmm. You know, so I rely on this individual that's had the experience, has been there, done that. And, um, uh, but um, but again, then they get the support. And then there's a time where, we as partners, we fit in some areas where we can contribute, and obviously we're ready to, uh, you know, to to commit to something or to 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 step up, you know, to, to something that uh, that we need to do. So um, again, you know, we've come a long way into really understanding the formula, and um, and I'm happy that we are at a good place. Yeah. It certainly yeah. sounds like there's a, there's a lot of self-awareness there, both understanding your, your strengths, what you can do well, where your gaps are having the people, which you've hit on again and again. Uh, I, I just want to touch on the importance of that, especially uh, I'm sure a lot of people starting this, listening to this might be thinking, all right, one of the greatest racers of all time thinking focus solely on Mario. And it's like, no, you keep hitting on the people. So I just love that. Something, something you mentioned a minute ago, uh, I would love diving into is you said you've just faced so many different setbacks and failures any that really spring to mind for you that you were able to learn a lot from painful in the moment, but you were able to learn a lot from? Well, yeah, I mean, I was able to learn about what, um, uh, what didn't happen. And if it would have happened, it would have been a disaster per se by having the wrong emotion at the wrong time. Uh, it's happened to me, uh, basically twice in my career where uh, I was done something wrong. I was spun in the first lap where I was in front, in front of uh, family, even local track where it was a, a race was, uh, you know, there were all the top level driver, Foyt and so on and so forth. And, and here I'm on pole and I, I know I would have won that race, you know, local race in, uh, here in Allentown. And, and here he comes, he cheats the start, spins me out. And uh, and lost a lap, and then when I got restarted, my objective was only to come up and just destroy him, and you know just maybe 
uh, ram him or spin him and doing something stupid. And, and just as I come up, I came through the field. And just as I came up to him, the race was over. And it was a blessing. Then I started thinking, you know what? What a stupid thing to imagine. You let your emotion take over. And, and it would have been a disaster for me to have that asterisk, you know, in my career and so forth. So these are the time, the things that they just sit back and say, you know what, cool down a little bit, mm-hmm. think, think. Um, there were uh, just maybe a couple of those incidents where um, I had to just, you know, just take a moment, you know, more than that. And, uh, you know, think, Mario, don't be so stupid. And um, but it was it was key actually for me that uh, you you know you learn something then you just don't do it again because you'll be you're going to be confronted with the same situation again and you just say okay you know just let it go. Mario, what's what's really impressive to me is you're talking about this moment. Uh, how how long ago is this? Sixty plus years ago. And the thing that impresses yeah. me most is that it's actually a moment that didn't fully happen. You didn't ram him from behind, but you had that level of awareness even back then to understand, yeah. okay, this didn't happen, but that's not who I want to be as a person, as a driver. I just think that's awesome. Uh, this, this is a line I pulled up from yours. Um, so I, I hope this is correct. And it's, I hated smooth races. I love the wet. I love the bumpiest freaking racetrack. You had the best chance <laughs> to separate yourself. Just talk to me about that mentality and how you felt better when, when the field was more chaotic. Yes. And I've said this, I say this today, that, um, you know, you hear thing, oh, man, this place is so bumpy, complaining and so on. And you know what? Anybody can drive. It can be a lot easier to drive if everything's smooth. And so I feel just, uh, and psychologically even, you think, you know what? If I really um, can put my arms around there, can overcome that or deal with it, you know, you feel not everybody's going to be able to do that. So you're almost looking for an advantage, something else. A lot of people go, oh, man, it's really going to be a hot day. I don't know. We're going to love that, love that, because the elements could beat the guy. So I'm not going to let the elements beat me. You see what I mean? It's it's even, it, maybe it's not real, but psychologically you feel, you know what, I I think I may have a step on, on these guys, you know what I mean? And that's a good thing. And so, again, uh, I I said this over and over, you know, to myself. I never, ever say, oh, yeah, you know, this should be easy, this and that, because it's easy, then it's easier for everybody. The tougher there seems to be, like, conditions, you know. If conditions are really tough, then you're looking for that angle, you know, to try to, you know what, I think I'm going to do it better and so on and so forth, you know. It could be psychological, but it's good. I think, you know, and it has worked for me, quite honestly, you know. So, um, yeah, that's really the way that I would look at, I look at things. Yeah, Mario, so many so many of these mindsets you have uh, are what a lot of the, the great sports psychologists use. And I'm just wondering, are, are these things you learned from other people or do you just develop these naturally? Well, I don't know. I mean, you learn. I mean, you learn basically uh, you're confronted with, uh, you know, with the best in a business. And you always, you, you look at what are they doing, you know, this and that. You're thinking, um, because there's always somebody better than you, mm. you know, and that's what makes you uh, 
I think, work harder. That's what makes you potentially, you know, a better driver. But when you're looking at the nuances, you know, you know, this dude, man, he's pretty cool under these conditions. Maybe I better be the same, mm -hmm. that type of thing. That's how you do it. You always got to look at who is at that moment, who is the man, the individual that you have to be better of. And, you know, if psych life, yeah, I think I think I got this one handled, I got that one handled, that one, you know, it's another story. And that's where you focus on, you know. I, I love hearing these games inside of the games that the greats play. So correct me if I'm wrong here, but what I'm hearing is you, you could even essentially win a race, but the way you saw another driver handle a certain condition or, or a certain turn, you're looking to that and saying, wow, they performed that better than me. I've got work to do. Is that what you're saying there? No question. No question about that. Um, I, I, I tell you, you know, I was sometimes was just thrown into the wolves, you know, and uh, uh, like the first time and so forth. And and who do you, who do I wanted to emulate? Who do I wanted to learn from? Whoever was at the top of the game at the time, I'd be on the dirt, on a dirt track somewhere, and I watching who's the guys, Dumb Branson, you know, like you got. He's where he's running. That's where I was going to go. And, you know, you always, you know, you got to look for whoever is doing their job at that moment. And that's where you get, have to try to do better of, or at least as good. And then maybe, uh, you know, just work yourself to just being even better. But uh, they always teach you something. I remember the, the first time that um, I was ever really confronted with a wet race and I'm watching the masters of the dirt, you know, the Jackie Stewart, Jackie Eakes, and so forth, always taking the totally different lines through the corners there. I said, oh, that's what, it, that's what we do in the dirt. So actually a lot of the dirt track racing was teaching me what to do in a Grand Prix or, or, or an IndyCar race in the wet because you do everything the opposite of what you do in a dry condition. Why? Because in the wet, I mean on the dirt, Almost every lap is different because conditions change because uh, the inside just becomes a lot sl slicker. Then you go to the top, then you go to the top, you you, you lose the cushion, then you got to go back to the bottom because that's where everybody's driving. That's where laying the rubber down. You're always looking, you always have to be looking for grip somewhere. And there's no volume, no book that can tell you, oh, yeah, if you do this, 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 and that, then you got to make. No. You got to know how to search, how to feel, and you know stuff like that. And and if you don't put in perspective, then you're staying confused. Mm. You cannot be confused. You know what I mean? Yeah. You got to be on it. Oh yeah, and 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 all these things, you know, really work for me. It, you mentioned that's something you just cannot learn in the book. Is there anything like that that you just you just can't teach to young drivers unless they're actually in the car experiencing it? What, what comes to mind for you in terms of, of being a world champion? Well, here's the thing. Uh, as I say, um, some of the things you you say so you have to be there. There's only so much. First of all, though, I've never been a teacher. For some reason or other, I just don't have those abilities to, to really communicate properly. Um, and uh, so uh, I cannot really uh, pretend, you know, to, to be able to explain things properly. But... Uh, uh, it's like anything. I know how I learn. I learn by watching, by just being, you know, very, very mindful 
or what's important, what what to look for, knowing what you know you've been experiencing, and then seeing what others are doing. And then obviously, the quicker you are, then you try that. I remember when I was uh, uh, testing, I was part of the Lamont test program, and I wanted to really hone my skills in road racing. You know, I, I was pretty good on the you know ovals already, you know, but this is like in the, the mid '60s, you know, when uh, for the Lamont program, who was I gravitating to? I was to uh, Bruce McLaren. Why? Because he was very technical driver. You know, he was not necessarily the fastest driver like in the quick corner, but in the slow corner, he just would know how to negotiate, how to rotate the car and so forth, the braking. And, you know, whenever I come out of the car and it was his turn to go in, man, I'd take the scooter and go to key corner and watch what he's doing. And that's what I was learning. You know, that's how, that's what you do, yeah. you know. And like I said, if, uh, uh, if, if I had precise, um, the precise, uh, uh, I don't know, um, way of putting it down, I could bottle it and sell it, but I, I don't even know how to do it. I mean, I, I know what I did, you know, to be able to just gain what I wanted to gain, uh, but I learned from others. I learned from others more than I learned from others to be better myself is what I'm saying. Mario, how challenging I'm just thinking about the amount you learned studying others were the seasons where you were doing both Formula One and Indy cars. I'm just wondering how challenging that is where certain weeks, you're multiple races. What, what is that like as someone who's constantly studying? Did you still have that ability during those times? Yeah, I mean, here's the thing that uh, what's inter was interesting for me is to be able to really adapt to the characteristic of the different cars. I mean, it was like going from a Formula One car to a, a, a champ car on the dirt. I mean, it's like day and night. And yet, how do I extract the maximum out of both? You see, yeah. but you always learn something on one side that applies to the other, believe it or not. There's a cross-reference somewhere. And I think by doing what I did, I think, uh, to me, I think it, it opened up my dimension in some ways of knowledge. And uh, uh, mainly because um, it, it's, it, 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 um, I'll give you, for instance, um, also about adapting in sports cars. Sports prototypes usually... You don't have the luxury to do a lot of uh, uh, setting up a chassis and so on and so forth after a test. So you have to deal with what you're dealing, what you got. Uh, then you have a partner that maybe would like to have things slightly differently as far as balance, and then you have to compromise. So what do you learn there? You learn how to deal with it. You learn how to adapt to something that's not necessarily to your total liking. And that works when you're in your own, you know, in, in your own uh, race or something all by yourself, and the car is not necessarily doing it the way you really like it. You adapt as to how to still deal with it. You know, you know what I mean? Yeah. It's just that gives you that little cross-reference. And so um, with all these things that seem like a difficulty, uh, they're useful ultimately to you 
you know, I found that anyway. Uh, so again, by going cross-referencing, you know, from uh, different disciplines and different environments, um, you, you just always learn something that will apply. Yeah. You mentioned the cross-referencing earlier around taking the the same blueprint essentially from racing in, into the businesses you do. So you can see that being applied again and again. Something yeah. that you've said again and again is just the fire in your belly right now. What is that thing? What, what, what is really capturing your attention? What are you working towards now? Well, the usual thing, obviously, uh, to stay ahead of the game, you know, in the areas, uh, the competitive areas and the business and so on and so forth. And, uh, and you know, myself, uh, you know, staying close to the sport, you know, that I love so much and, uh, and keep doing the things that actually uh, I like to do, not to just sit there and just uh, be a flower on the side and so on and so forth. Uh, I want to have uh, uh, things productive, you know, ahead of me that uh, uh, to be able to do, to be able to contribute somewhere. Uh, so that's really my, uh, my objective and what keeps me going today. Um, get my feet in a race car now and then and so on and so forth. Uh, that always works. Yeah. Well, you're certainly a doer, someone who's keeping things entertaining or just a couple quick ones here to, to wrap up. I, I know you're an incredible or have an incredible collection of different memorabilia. If you can keep one piece of memorabilia that you've had, whether it be your own or someone else's over the years, which, which one do you really cherish? <sighs> All of it. But, uh, <laughs> uh, I think, uh, I'd have to say my world championship trophy. Beautiful. Because that's where it all began. That's where my ultimate green dream began. That's what got me really enamored with the sport. That's what got the, that's where my love began for the sport. What are you picturing right now as you say that? What I said that. Seeing yourself on the podium or in the actual car? Yeah, winning the race, mm. winning, winning the Italian Grand Prix. <laughs> That's awesome, Mario. If you could do this long form conversation, sit down with with someone dead or alive, who would you love just to be able to ask questions and learn from? Uh, that is a good question, actually. Um, I have to think about that. It doesn't come to mind. All right, cool. I'm enjoying the conversation with you. Yeah, Mario. This is like I mentioned, uh, an absolute honor. There. Are, there are certain people in this world who stand on a different podium. And for me, you are one of those people. Uh, so this truly was an absolute honor. Mario Andretti, I cannot thank you enough for joining us on What Got You There. That's my pleasure. Thanks for having me. You guys made it to the end of another episode of What Got You There. I hope you guys enjoyed it. I really do appreciate you taking the time to listen all the way through. If you found value in this, the best way you can support the show is giving us a review, rating it, sharing it with your friends, and also sharing on social. I can't tell you how much I appreciate it. Looking forward to you guys listening to another episode.